0: my name's Eric. I'm the lead pastor at our Brigham City campus. We're a multi-site church. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and I am glad to be with you guys today. And I get to start our new series called Jesus in Genesis. And if you see, this kind of a, a cool picture uh, with this, this graphic. It's got the word Genesis, and Jesus is kind of hidden inside of it, right? Not necessarily hidden, but maybe you didn't see that before and I needed to point it out to you. Uh, It it reminds me of something that I used to do as a kid to pass by time and it was, where's Waldo? Does anybody remember where's Waldo? I I loved these things as a kid, right? Try to find Waldo right now for me, would you? And if you find it, find it let me know. Uh I don't know if this thing has a laser or not. Oh yeah, it does. So uh so I'd rather you listen to me than find Waldo, but hey, you guys found it? Where tell me what what What's he close to? Right here? Yeah, that's him, right there, right? Yeah. I also saw a little picture of him. I thought I saw him right here too. Is this a fake Waldo? Right here? Okay. Well, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, I used to love these things, right? It's a challenge to your brain and your mind and everything. And, and as we're getting into this series called Jesus in Genesis, uh, oftentimes people probably think trying to find Jesus and deep Bible study is hard, right? It's probably kind of like this. You got to sort through all this stuff to try, to try to find Jesus. And certainly, certainly we shouldn't, you know, at, at our churches be playing this game Where's Waldo with Jesus, right? He should be right out front and center. He shouldn't be so hard to find, right? Now, I don't often bash churches or anything from stage, so I don't want you to think I'm doing that. But one of the things that makes me very passionate about what I do, you know, about preaching the gospel and preaching and, and churches. Um, Jesus is central to it all. Everything that he's done for me and in my life and what I've realized he's done for many people, the world through dying on the cross, the things that we sing about, makes me very passionate about. That is the single number one message, and Jesus is the most important person in the Bible. And so we ought to, at church, make him very visible, right? Not something that you have to try to put a puzzle together to find out, is Jesus in that or not, right? And so So that's why I'm excited that we're doing this series called Jesus in Genesis, because we're just taking one book of the Bible. Jesus is everywhere in the Bible, not just the New Testament. He is everywhere, all throughout the Old Testament, and we're going to find him in these different places where he is prominent and right out front, and maybe in ways you haven't seen before. And so over the next five weeks, we we decided to take the first book of the Bible and say, uh, we want to show where Jesus kind of stands out in some of these major stories and themes. And so today we're going to talk about how Jesus reverses the curse. And we're going to go on to talk about how he is the Melchizedek priest, how he was the son on the altar, how he is the stairway to heaven, and how he was the rejected ruler. Now this isn't All the places we see him in the book of Genesis. But this is going to be a great series. I've been challenging people to jump in a small group so you can study these things with other people. I'd still encourage you to do that. But as we look at our our message today, we're going to be talking about how Jesus reversed a curse. And really we're going to see how in the beginning Jesus was there. Even though his name isn't right out front and center, often in the Old Testament, I'm going to point out to you how Jesus is right in the very first verse of the Bible. And he was the creator, and he created everything, and and he said that it was good. And so we're going to see that Jesus is the creator, and he's also the redeemer. And so as we look at Genesis, which the word means beginnings. It's the beginning, right? That's why it's very, very, uh, very important that, uh, you know, the, the book of beginnings starts with creation and how everything started for us in history, so to speak. We're going to try to find him in the very, very first verse of the Bible. Let me jump right to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, "Let there be light." Now, you're thinking, "Okay, where's Jesus in there?" Right? I'm seeing I'm seeing God and I'm seeing even the spirit of God and maybe you've heard of the concept of the Trinity before, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Where is the Son? Add in this whole thing. Where is Jesus at? Uh, And so, and another interesting thing I want to point out is that it says that God spoke to create, okay? When he created things, if you go through the whole creation narrative in chapter one, there's there's six days he created the world and everything in it, the universe and everything in it. And how did he create? He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light. Now we need the entire Bible to be able to interpret Scripture properly. That's one way that we need to understand how to read the Bible. We don't just go read one verse here or there and try to understand what it means. We've got to have an understanding of the entire narrative of the Bible. And so the New Testament helps us understand where we see Jesus in the book of Genesis. So I'm going to take you to the book of John now in the first book of the New Testament and and put them side by side so you can see some similarities here. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. And the Word gave Life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, I want to point out some similarities. I think you can already see some because I've underlined these verses for you, but it starts off in the beginning, in the beginning. And then you see this theme of light, and then another theme of light. Well, in the beginning, it's saying the Word already existed, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How did God create again? he spoke it with his words, right? He said, let there be light. And so there's this mind-blowing thing that nobody really quite understands about God and the Trinity. If anybody ever could say, I completely understand God, then they're lying to you because God wouldn't be God if he was completely understandable. All we know is what he's revealed to us in scripture and that he's just so high above what we are, okay? But this says that Jesus, who existed with God always, etern- eternally, was with God and was God. And it says God created everything through him, through his word. So God somehow through Jesus being the word of God created everything that we see through Jesus. If that doesn't blow your mind, and I don't know what will. But then it goes on to say, you know, let there be light That's the first thing that was created. And again, you see this similarity. The light shines in the darkness. Jesus says he is the light, right? Jesus is often referred to as the light of the world. And so John is trying to get the readers to understand, look, here's what happened in the beginning. John's going back now and adding this all about Jesus because that would have been, the Jewish tradition would have been to have known and understand the creation narrative, and now he's going back and adding Jesus in there saying, look, Jesus was there from the beginning. For a better understanding of this, we'll go to Colossians. A man named Paul wrote this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. This is talking about Jesus. We're seeing him in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. And now this brings more light to it, telling us that that's actually talking about Jesus being there, being supreme and the one whom through all things were created. God as a man in the flesh, the word of God becoming man. Now, some of this thing, I want to quickly go over some of this. It says everything was created through him and for him. That's why I say Jesus is the most important thing that you could ever Get from coming to church, right now there are a lot of other benefits you know friendships and, and awesome worship. I mean the worship was awesome today uh, we get we get uh, to have a break from our kids <laughs> we put them in kids' church right and they get to hear it in a fun way in an exciting way and there's lots of awesome things about church, but what I want you to understand is that Jesus is the greatest thing that you and I could understand and and, 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 and receive truth about today, right? And it goes on to say that Jesus, in the, in the creation narrative in Genesis and here, it's talking about he created things we can see and that we can't see. So no, we, we know the things that we can see, the stars, the sun, the moon, the galaxies, the earth, you know, everything in creation. But what about the things that we can't see? Well, the Bible says there is a spiritual realm, and God created through Jesus heaven, right? And and the angels are created beings, right? Jesus isn't a created being. God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, all as one, are the, the triune God. They are eternal, never created, but they created heaven. They created earth, right? And and, and with that, um, God also created man. It said, then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us, Jesus was involved in the creation of human beings again, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but when when God says, "Let us make man and hum- uh, in human in man in our own image or human beings in our own image," He's not just saying, you know me and the angels he's not saying that he's not talking about the angels he's talking about us in the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us. There, the, the word there for God is this word Elohim, and that very word is the word of God in a plural form in the in Hebrew. It's not this singular form. And so from the beginning, we hear about the Trinity in the, the first chapter of the Bible. Then God creates man and the and 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 God said everything was good, right? He, he, he brought men and women together, and, and it was the first awesome marriage, and, and uh, they were able to walk with God in the garden. And, but the problem was is that they, they didn't last long until they disobeyed. They didn't last long until they wanted to do it their own way, right? They didn't last long until they thought they knew better than God. It didn't last long because a liar came into the picture. Because one thing that it doesn't say in Genesis, but it talks about in other chapters of the Bible, is that before the creation, there was uh, fallen angels. Satan took a third of the angels and basically set themselves up and opposed themselves with God and they were kicked out of heaven. And it says that Satan came down to the earth and now roams in some kind of spiritual realm with these other spiritual beings that are constantly trying to twist and, and to try to get at God's people and trying to thwart God's plan. And so that's the setup for my next point is that what happened after God created man is that They believed a lie and sin entered the world. This cursed everything. The problem is, is, and I know that we can all relate to this, is that how long does it take for us, even after we come to church on Sunday or we want to rededicate our lives or we want to do good? How fast does it to take turn around and go out there into the world to our job or wherever? And go back to our old nature of, I know what's better. I know what's right. You know, God, God wants me to be happy. And so being happy is more important than actually following him and, and, and living in his will and trying to honor him, right? So we can't say that as we look at what the first human beings did that we're not in the same boat. We are also guilty of the same thing. And as a matter of fact, when they chose to go against God, it passed down to us like a curse A lot of theologians call this the fall. When man and woman decided to go against God, it brought on sin into the world. It cursed everything. Now we have this natural bent to go our own way instead of God's way. And we need a divine intervention for God to come in and change our lives. How many of us here have tried to clean ourselves up? We've tried to work the hardest to quit our addictions. Or we've tried to be better husbands. We've tried to be better wives. We've tried to be better parents. We've tried to be better workers. But what we need to understand is that we need a divine intervention intervention a hand we need god to come into our lives to ev- to change us from our wicked ways that we inherited from the beginning this is what we need to understand let me tell you what happened what they did it said the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the lord god had made one day he asked the woman did god really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. And so backstory to this is that God created the Garden of Eden, right? And everything was good. They walked with God and he, he said, be fruitful and multiply. They, he got to name all the animals. Everything was beautiful. There was no death at this time, right? And, and, and he says, there's one tree that you just can't touch. You can have everything but this one tree. Now, I don't know about you, but when you put some kind of a, a stipulation on something, uh like I've done this with my kids before, I say, you can you can do this, 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 and this, but you just can't do this. All of a sudden they're like, But I wanna do that. But I but I wanna I wanna do the thing. Like, why don't you want me to do that? Like trying to figure it out in their mind, like. Is, the, is it fun, right? Is it fun, and he just doesn't want me to have fun? and oftentimes people think of God that way, right? Like God put all these rules in the Bible because He doesn't want us to have fun and honest if you're going to be honest, I'll be honest, if we think about sin like some of the things that that sin uh, places it puts in our lives, sometimes it was fun. that was the draw to the whole thing, right? If you're not having fun while you're sinning, you're just not doing it right, okay but That's the problem, is is we think that fun and and comfort is more important than God's boundaries that he put on our lives. Just like parents, we we say we want our kids to enjoy life and have fun and grow up and be healthy and be responsible. So we put boundaries on some certain things, right? I put a a fence around the boundary of my house because I don't want my kids running into the road, right? It might be fun to run in the road until you get ran over, okay? so you could still have fun within the boundaries of the yard. And that's what God was doing with them. This one tree was saying, will you follow me in this? Will you put me in the proper place of your life as Lord and listen to me and follow me, even if you don't fully understand it or believe it? And so the serpent, Satan comes in and he twists because he had already disobeyed God, and he was kicked out of heaven, and now he's trying to deceive the first man and woman, and he comes and twists God's word, and that's again, beware of people that twist God's word to make it, you know, fit your life, or that make it feel really good or sound really good, but in the end, it has no content, and it never brings you back to this, this idea that man is fallen, we are sinful, But God is good. And so here's what happens in the story. God said, you must not eat of it or touch it or you will die. Here's what Satan says. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now I would say here, uh, one particular way of thinking about this is when we go against God and choose to do the thing he told us not to do, and we trust our own opinions and our own ideas over his truth, it is a failure to worship God. We fail to put him in the proper place on the throne of our lives. We're saying, nope, I am going to be like God. I'm going to know better than him. I know what's right for me, right? My truth is my truth and you can't, you know, your truth is good for you, but it's not good for me. Well, that doesn't make any sense because there's only one truth. Not everything can be true. If there is a truth, then there has to be things that are false, right? And God's word is the only thing that can be trusted as true. And so Satan in the form of a serpent brings in these lies and he twists, right? How many of us have these serpents in our lives that we allow to speak into it? Not just Satan himself, but the things that we listen to throughout the week, right? The social media rabbit trails of, of political nonsense that we want to follow because of it scratches some kind of itch that we have in there right we get these little obsessions of of listening to people uh, allowing the media to speak into our fears even when god says be courageous and and but the media says fear which one are we going to trust right what, what serpents are we going to allow in our life to twist god's words it could be bad Bible teachers, the news, conspiracy theories, social media, and maybe, maybe it's not even listening to any of those things, but listening to your own voice, putting that as a, as a higher priority, this inner feeling that you have that says, no, God's word says this, but I feel this. That is idolatry of self. When I fail to worship God, I'm worshiping someone or something else, and oftentimes it's ourselves. We start worshiping our own opinions and ideas. But here's what Paul tells us what worship is. It's not just about music. It's about a lifestyle. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is worship as we surrender our minds and our bodies and our will over to God. We surrender it to him and we live under his will and his way instead of our own opinions and our own ideas. And there are always consequences when we choose to go the wrong way. There are consequences for our actions. And here's what the consequences were for the man and the woman if we go back to Genesis chapter three. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you. Oftentimes we, we, we brush past this, right? I don't wanna get too detailed in, you know, uh, biology or anything like that, right? But I know that, you know, there, there is a beauty in you know like having children right and and the beauty of a, a woman's body to be able to do that and to to uh, even go through it you know like like a lot of women like to do it without uh taking any like pain medication what's that called what do you call it natural birth yeah, natural some people do it natural <laughs> uh but uh and there's a beauty in that, but still if anybody who's done it natural or or even on drugs, (laughs) on painkillers, it was painful, right? I don't know anything about it. It looked painful. It was painful when I watched. It was painful. Well, all the things about you know our bodies the things that don't work properly right this this includes a lot of this stuff right now we don't fully understand like how deep this went like because god still has a a restraining grace on us that we're not going as bad as we possibly could be and we still have god's favor on us that we can live great lives and be as healthy as we possibly can but there's still pain and sickness and death and suffering and our bodies don't always work right all the time right and so that was a, a result of, of this first sin that man and woman brought into the world. And you will desire to control your husband. Man, I don't want to get in trouble for this one. Uh, I'm just going to go past that. <laughs> let's, go, let's see what happened to the man. It says, and the man, to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, The ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. And then it goes on in verse 18. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have to... Well, you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and the dust you will return. This talks about death, right? You've heard that at funerals before, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? We were made from the dust of God took the dirt and formed man out of it. That's why we say that. But it also says, this is interesting, I was thinking about this last night, and I remember when I just really hated my job, right? <laughs> and men, like, I know that some of you just, you probably, maybe some of you have just done an amazing job. You love it. There's nothing wrong with it. But that's kind of few and far between. But if men, if you hate your job, this is the reason why. <laughs> you still got to do it. I'm not telling you go quit your job and go find something that makes you really happy. What this is saying is, look, you're going to have to work through thorns and thistles and by the sweat of your brow, you've got to work to make a living and, and it's not because I don't want you to have fun but it's because of sin. Sin happened, it cursed the ground, it cursed the world and now our employment situations aren't as fun as, as happy as we wanted them to be. Although there's still a grace that it can still be beautiful and we can still go be creators and, and producers It just doesn't work right anymore. And this is what we've called the fall. And with this is the situation that we all find ourselves in. In in the New Testament, Paul says this, for the wages of sin is death. Think about working. When you work a job, you deserve wages for that job. Well, God is saying this, by the way that you live, all the sin that comes out of you You've earned death. That is your wage. You deserve death. That is the consequence. Not just physical death, but even spiritual death, relational death, financial death. How many of us can recount the consequences in our lives from the terrible decisions that we have made? Because of lust, right? My marriage is broken. Because of anger, people don't feel safe around me. Because of my addiction, I've hurt so many people around me and sometimes can't even trust myself. Because of greed, I've done things. I've put things above God and I've, I've, I've gotten into too much debt because of pride. People don't want to be my friend, you know. Think of a story in your life of a major consequence of sin. And we know that the Bible is true. The wages of sin is death. Death to our lives. Death to, to all these different areas of our lives. Now maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not that bad. Right? Or I know somebody and they're pretty holy, they're not that bad. Well, let me just say this. We're not all as bad as what we could be, but maybe you haven't gotten caught yet. <laughs> maybe you haven't got caught yet with that thing that you've been secretly hiding. You know, maybe, maybe you haven't had as bad of consequences because the Lord knows you might not be able to hand those, handle those. And some of us have had bad consequences of our sin and, and somehow has shaped beauty out of all of that. But we're all in the same boat, whether you're a great sinner or you're a little sinner. We're all still under the same thing of needing to be redeemed and saved from this sin. And that is the wonderful thing about God is that even though we've gone against him, One of his wonderful attributes is is love and grace and kindness and mercy. And he says, I'm not going to allow you guys to go too far. I'm going to provide a way for you to be made right with me. I am going to reverse this curse that you brought on the world because I love you too much. And that's the last thing I want to talk about is that after the fall, after the fall, of mankind, God set in motion his plan to reverse the curse. Jesus is the prophesied Redeemer from the beginning. Now, I saved a verse in Genesis because I wanted to save the best for last as part of one of the consequences of sin. If we go back to verse 15, this is a very, very important verse. This is again where we're going to see Jesus. It says he's talking to, this, to Satan here. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, you might just brush past this, but I I want to dig deeper. It's not just talking about women are going to be afraid of snakes now, and they might bite her, bite her in the heel, okay? Go back and read the context. It's not talking about that. It's talking about... Satan has an offspring and the woman, the the human woman has an offspring that's going to come down through her that is going to defeat him. Satan will bruise his heel, will temporarily uh, wound him, but Jesus is going to strike a fatal blow to the head. You see, a wound to the heel isn't fatal, but a wound to the head is. This is pointing to Jesus having victory over Satan. And as you can see, as I've talked about, Satan has come down and he's tried to thwart God's plan throughout all creation. Even to this point and all the way up to even to the day of Jesus where Satan used certain people, the Jewish people and Judas himself to betray him so that the plan of God could be carried out. That Jesus, who seemingly was losing by being caught and and beaten and And whipped and crowned with thorns and taken to the cross and crucified. It seemed like the Savior, God Himself, was losing. But when He died on that cross, the Bible tells us that that act takes all of the sin that human beings have done and it nails it to the cross where God was hung and killed. So that we could be forgiven. He had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice that was made so that human beings could be forgiven. And you say, why did it have to be this way? Why did he have to die? In Hebrews 2.14 it says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. We'll see later on in this series that Jesus portrays the image of a spotless lamb. And if you didn't know, in the the Old Testament, there was a way in which God was always particular on how a person would come to him. And before Jesus A a spotless, perfect lamb had to be sacrificed in place of people's sins and it had to be done often, all the time. That was how people atoned, how, how they were forgiven and made right, but it was all pointing towards what God was actually doing with this story going all the way back to Genesis 3.15, we broke things right away and God set in, in place a plan to fix things right away because he loves us. And that is where Jesus comes in to this story. But he has to, we have to come to God in a certain way. God does not say, all roads lead to me. Jesus himself says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? Think about, think about things that have to be done in, 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 the, in a certain order in order for it to have the best outcome, right? Like I think about this baking, baking shows I watch, like baking championships we watch. We've been on that, like on Hulu lately, just watching these baking championships. And, and there's a certain way you follow uh, these ingredients to make it, make it turn out like this work of art, because that's what they're basically making is a work of art. Well, God has a certain way in which we come to Him in order to be forgiven, and that's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the crazy thing is, if we go back to Genesis chapter three, after He promises this 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 the the offspring of the woman, Jesus, who was born as a man, will strike Satan, even though it seems like Satan still has power, he still has temporary power here on earth, but one day, the hope that we all have as Christians is that we'll all be defeated. He will be defeated, and, and sin and death will be no more. But God, in his grace, showed us this plan back in Genesis three twenty one. After they had sinned, God says, I'm gonna kill some animals and make skins for you because there was this part where they, they, were, they were naked and that was okay. Naked and unashamed. And then when they got this new knowledge of sin, now they're naked and ashamed and, and God wanted to, out of his mercy, clothe them. And so this is the first sacrifice that led to the great sacrifice of Jesus. God sacrifices animals to cover them. Jesus sacrificed himself to cover us with his blood. And if we go back to that verse in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, not by working for it or earning it or becoming so religious and, and just busting your butt as hard as you can to work for it. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the last things I want to say to you today is this. No matter where you're at in your pursuit of God, we can all put Jesus in the proper place of our lives. Back on the throne where we have ourselves on the throne or other things on the throne, other obsessions and addictions on the throne of our life. He can be our Lord and Savior, our King and Messiah, our Creator and Redeemer. And it starts by trusting in Jesus. And I implore you today, if you haven't done that, please, talk to someone. While you're sitting where you're at right now, if you're not sure that you're right with God through trusting in Jesus, that he's the Lord and Savior of your life, then please do that today in a prayer as we pray, as we sing this last song. Trusting Jesus is the most important thing you and I can do. And if you've been a believer for a while, but this message convicts you and wants to help you get back on track on, the, on the, the road that you want to be on with God, then let that do that and rededicate your lives to him. Romans 3.22 says, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today in awe of who you are and your word that you would love us so much that from the beginning we messed it up but you set in motion a plan to fix it that the creator of the universe would put himself in a human body to be born like one of us and then ultimately die for us it was the only way and that's your way God, help us to understand this. Help us to not just understand it with our minds, but with our hearts today. God, help anyone here today that has not heard this message before, that has not believed in their own sin and and believed that you can take care of it through Jesus Christ on the cross. I pray that they would repent. They would say, Lord, I, I... I agree with you about my sin. I have idolatry. I put other things on the throne of my life and you deserve to be there. You're so loving. I accept this free gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. God, come into my life and and change my heart and my ways. I need you. God, let that be the prayer of all of our hearts today. Father, and, and let that reflect how we go on to live, how we Speak in our relationships and what we do in our time here that we have left until you come to change everything and make all things new. God, let us rest in your power and your strength. In Jesus Christ on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.